0: Pastor Dan, you've been all over the world, really, and I want to really touch on one thing. God's got a great sense of humor. Correct me if I'm wrong. When you when you gave your life to Christ, tell us what two things you told the Lord you weren't going to do.
1: Yeah, when I was about uh, 10 years old, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents were farmers, and we they loved Jesus, and every day we we studied the word and in our church we had uh, uh, that we went to every Sunday, twice on Sunday and once during the midweek uh, we would have these missionaries come through. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, I had this uh, picture of missionaries. My dad was very missionary minded and loved missions. And, and uh, so anyway, uh, uh, I was at this camp and I was, I was, you know, we were. They were asking for commitments to commit your life to the Lord, and and so this was the last day of the camp, and so I decided to make a commitment, and I said, Lord, I I, I want to commit my life to you, uh, but there's just two things I don't want to do in my life. Uh, number one, I don't want to be a pastor, and number two, uh, I I don't want to be a missionary. And uh, as I mentioned, these missionaries would come through our church and they always dressed in the costumes and stuff of of their country. And I thought they were just they were so strange to me. And and I figured missionaries were misfits. And and so the only thing you do with the missionary is send them overseas because they don't fit in to American culture. You know, so uh, in my mind, I was saying, Lord, I don't want to ever be one of those missionaries.
0: Well, you said you don't want to be a pastor or a missionary, right? Yes. So, funny thing is, tell us what you ended up becoming.
1: <laughs> uh well, uh, in 19 uh in 19 78, I believe it was. The Lord uh called me into my first church pastorate and uh
0: Check that off the list.
1: Yeah. So I I was never intending to be one, but I became one. And so it was uh, quite an experience.
0: Okay, so for all you guys that think, oh, I don't want to be a pastor, I don't want to be a missionary, famous last words. Watch what you say.
1: Yeah, don't say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not that it was, it's not that it was bad. I just think God's got a sense of humor and it's, uh, I find it funny. But uh, hey, look, last thing I ever thought is I was going to be sitting here with Pastor Dan and with, you know, the other guests that I've had being able to sit down and, and chat and, uh, you know, see what God's done in, in so many people's lives. There is hope for me. There is hope for me. This is good. Um, so let me back up just a hair. Cause I got a kick out of this. Your dad owned a farm, right? Yes. Okay. How many chickens did you have to feed?
1: Well, I had uh, every day I had to feed about 45,000 chickens. Um, wow that my dad had on our ranch. My dad had five ranches and he had a quarter of a million chickens on all five ranches, but I only had to feed 45,000 of them. So I was thankful for that. But every day before I went to school, I got up and I uh, went out and got on my electric cart and started running through the rows, feeding the chickens. So, <laughs> and- so
0: don't complain people out there. Okay. Cause Pastor Dan had to get up early and do it before going to school, and he had to do it when he got back, and you had to do your homework, right?
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that I got involved with was sports. I loved to play football <laughs> and basketball and baseball. And so I played three sports in all through high school, and so uh, I was able to escape feeding the birds in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs>
0: See, he's, he's, he was thinking, he was thinking outside the box, which is go. good. So, um, your dad was a real big influence in your life In your book. You say that, okay. Yes. I'm going to talk, I'm going to quote you a lot in your book. Cause it's a fabulous book. I'm going to link to that, to your website. Um, I really highly, highly recommend anybody get his book. It's amazing. You, you won't be able to put it down. It's, it's great. But your, your dad, tell us about your dad. Cause he was a great example of faith, prayer. I mean, uh, you know, trusting in the Lord and, and that I'm sure impacted your life.
1: Yeah. I just watched my dad with his, uh, uh chicken business. Uh, he had, uh, you know, a lot of chickens, but he ha- also had a processing plant, a lot of employees and, uh, and, uh, you know, dad was, he, he just, uh, every day had to trust the Lord. You know, we had big green, uh, bills. And I remember one day dad said, uh, in our prayer as a family, he said, Lord, you know, we need about 50000 to pay off our feed bill. And uh, Lord, would you just provide for us? And, and uh, within a couple days, there was, a, there was enough money that came in for him to feed off the chicken bill, the wow. feed bill. So, uh, you know, it was just things watching him live by faith uh, continually that uh, was such an encouragement to me that led me into a ministry that we had to live totally by faith uh, you know for all these years that we've been in it so
0: yeah and I was gonna say I'm you know the way God is you know he thinks he's always a million steps ahead of us but that served as such a foundation for what you were going to go through in your life as a pastor and as a missionary yes
1: yeah, so the Lord just you know he just used that background for such a, a a great thing in my own life because we learned, I learned as a kid, that God will provide as you trust in him and not in your own uh, abilities, in your own means, and your ways. And so I saw that very simple faith that my father had, and my mother had, and uh, God just provided. And that made it much easier for me to go into the kind of work that I'm doing today where we never had a guaranteed salary. We never... Uh, knew exactly how we were going to provide for our ministry. And yet God just has miraculously uh, provided for these uh, 35 years of ministry that I've been in, in this intensive care ministries work.
0: And um, I'm curious, how did that impact? So your dad's impacted you. How did what you guys went through impact your children, who are now adults and have kids of their own?
1: Yeah, our kids—they—they uh, they saw us walking by faith. Uh, they grew up in the Philippines or in their formidable years, and uh, you know, there was just many times where we just didn't know what what was going to happen, how we were going to uh, survive, and and God would just come through. You know, we'd get at yeah. the point where we had no money and. We're just going, Lord, what are we going to do? And then we'd get a thousand dollar check in the mail. And, and that was just a miracle in itself, because typically if I got five letters in the mail from in the Philippines, I'd see at least one or two of them opened by somebody in the post office that knew that money was being sent, you know, and the Lord just miraculously got the money through to us. So,
0: wow. So I'm going to back up just a bit. We're going to come back to the Philippines though. During your, um, when you were in college, there was a gentleman by the name of, I want to make sure I get the name right. It was it Paul Bayer.
1: That's correct. Yes. Okay.
0: Paul Bayer. I, I want you to tell us about Paul Beyer because, um, I think from what I read, you really took to the inductive style of Bible teaching because of what, you know, the way that he taught the inductive Bible studies, right?
1: Yeah, Paul was a huge influence uh, when I uh, I had uh, been on a football scholarship uh, at the University of Arizona. And I, I my junior year, after my junior season, I left there. I was so disgruntled with their program. And I ended up getting enrolled in the University of Redlands uh, about a year and a half later. I got back, got into Redlands. And uh, it was there that I met Paul Byer, who was the InterVarsity staff worker. For the campus, and uh, uh, Paul had such an influence on my life as as he would take time to nurture me and and help me to grow in my understanding of inductive Bible study. We just had a a great time with him. I spent a little over two years as a on campus, you know, as a student working with Paul, and uh, we would go to summer trainings and just got a lot of great input through about inductive Bible study because that's really all university did is mm-hmm. they taught us inductively. It was something, a system you caught, and uh, I caught it, and I yeah. loved it, and it made such a difference in my in my own uh, studying of God's Word. And so uh, when I got into the pastorate, I knew that this kind of training would work perfectly. But uh, Paul was... Uh, very patient. And he just, you know, kept working until he made sure I really understood it. And then he asked me to join him on staff. And Mm. so I ended up spending six years working with InterVarsity on that campus and a couple other campuses, teaching inductive Bible study students. Is InterVarsity
0: still around?
1: Very much so. Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. How is, because I know there's certain organizations that have kind of Taking a, a left turn um, on campuses, but intervarsity still straight and straight Very and narrow, strong. right? Yes. Okay. Good
1: ministry. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, no affiliation with Campus Crusade.
1: No, it's different. Yes.
0: Different, and and you did do part. You did do something with Campus Crusade. Am I right?
1: Uh, not really. I, uh, we uh, when I was involved with Calvary Chapel, we connected with.
0: Oh, okay. Uh,
1: Doctor Bill Bright and Campus Crusade but that was not during uh, my intervarsity days.
0: Okay. So I, I'm always fascinated. Again, your life was one marked definitely and still is by faith. And one thing that I really, really would like to touch on, because when I, when I read your book, it really, um, it really popped out at me was when the church that you were pastoring here, um, it went through a split. I think. And you were offered a position, was it in Austin, Texas? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, if you wouldn't mind tell us about that time, because um, again, there's a lot of people out there that are in a very similar position financially and in a position where uh, they've probably lost a lot of hope and even um, it's challenging their faith in ways they never imagined. And so, when I read that it was really encouraging to me and I want to, I, I would love you to to share that with us because it's, it's going to be encouraging to a lot of other folks too.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, being in the ministry, uh, in that church that my first church pastorate, you know, it only, it only lasted a little over uh, about eight months. And, and, wow. uh, then there was a split in the church and I had no idea what I had stepped into. But, um, Uh, Then I got an offer to go go to Texas and uh, pastor with another uh, pastor friend of mine. And uh, so we went there, joined forces with him. And and, uh, this was in Austin, Texas, started what is known as uh, 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 Austin Christian Fellowship. And we, we were very small. And so I had to work a construction job. Uh, and I'd work about 10 hours a day, sometimes six days a week, just, and I'm making about $5 an hour. And during this time, our house that we owned in California, uh, uh, it, it, it fell out of escrow four different times wow. uh, over the course of that year. And so we were so frustrated and uh, here we're trying to, I had to make payments on the house that we owned in California and I'm trying to make payments, our rental payment and, you know, two houses on $5 an hour. And so, you know, it, it was really tense times and we literally ran out of money uh, yeah. multiple times. And, uh, the one, one great example to me was when, uh, I got up in the morning and I go, Lord, I don't know how you're going to provide, but you know, we're out of food today. Yeah. And, uh, I had been very tempted to call my mom and dad, who, who would have sent me money immediately, to help us out. But I, I the Lord just spoke to me and said, "Don't trust in them. Trust in me. I'll mm. provide for you." So, so I didn't call them, and uh, so I, so I, I remember that morning getting up, no food. Kids came in and said, "Daddy, what's for breakfast?" and and I said, uh, we need to pray, you know? So we all sat around the table, held hands. Kids were all really young and, and they didn't understand. And so, uh, you know, I started to pray. And as I was praying, I just started to cry. Mm-hmm. I just lost it. And I was weeping and, and 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 trying to pray at the same time. And the kids knew we were a little in trouble when they yeah. saw dad cry and that didn't happen very often. And And so right in the middle of the prayer, you know, there was a, there was a knock on the door. And so I got up and wiped away my tears and went to the front door. And there was a lady uh, from our church who was standing on the front porch with two bags full of groceries. And uh-huh. she said, pastor, the Lord just spoke to me and she said, I, I, I'm not sure I heard the Lord. Right. But, but I, I felt like you didn't have any food. And so I, I just, went to the store this morning, bought some food and here's some food. I hope, I hope I heard the Lord right. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) and so we shared with her and it was just a a wonderful time of rejoicing. And it was just the beginning of God showing us that, you know, when we trust in him and not our, in our own resources, and our own abilities or, you know, trust our family, you know, the Lord is, is going to provide. And yeah. And, and he did, he, he wonderfully met those needs. And, and from that time on, he just kept doing that, you know, meeting our needs, giving us money when we hadn't asked for it, you know? And so, uh, yeah, it was a walk by faith, but it was one of the great lessons that I learned in those years, several times, multiple yeah. opportunities.
0: And, and you know what? Um, I have to say I've, I've, <sighs> Not on a parental side, but I was one of the kids when my parents went through some real difficult financial times too. We moved, you know, from country to country, Argentina back here. And um, when we were in Argentina, the, uh, it was just ugly, the government and the, uh, the, the economic situation was terrible. So on one sense, I can relate to that. And that as a kid, you know, you're like, well, mom and dad have, they got this covered, you know, but if we're going to our knees, then like you said, something's something's up, you know what I mean? And, uh, but to see God come through, that's, that's huge. And that seems to be, again, the Lord preparing you for what, for what was coming. Um, but that, that really wasn't the end. I want to kind of just jump a little bit ahead. You said that after, after that you were feeling like the church wasn't, you, you were already kind of, feeling that the Lord was going to move you out of that position. And you went to um, a place to pray and to seek the Lord and to read. And um, I, want to, I want to read it verbatim. So I don't want to mess it up. Um, Isaiah, you open the chapter with Isaiah chapter 43:19. It says, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And you say in your book, I looked down from my Bible and right next to me at my feet grew a tiny pine tree. As sure as I write today, I felt the Lord speaking to me, saying, as I am bringing new life in this little tree, so I am bringing new life into you. Watch and see as I bring something brand new from your life. So how did the Lord use that to change directions of where you were going?
1: Well, that, <clears throat> it was from that uh, we felt the Lord very clearly telling us to leave Austin mm-hmm. and then move to uh, back to Southern California to where we originally lived in Redlands, and and uh, so we we uh, we we got back, and I I really felt at this time the you know the Lord was uh, wanted me to start a Calvary Chapel. I had. Uh, gotten to know Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Costa Mesa. He'd become a friend. He had married my wife and I, and my wife got saved actually through their ministry. And so uh, I, he, he had always told me, he says, if you ever want to get involved with, with us, let me know. So this church in Austin was not a Calvary chapel. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I really felt it was time to plug in with Calvary. So I was going to start a, a Calvary in my hometown, Redlands. Uh, and uh, I felt like uh, this was the perfect place for me to go. Yeah. And so uh, we got back to Redlands, and uh, we were there for just a short while. And I found out that a guy named Don McClure,
2: oh yeah, who, That's who Don.
1: was very much involved with the Calvary Circles and working with Chuck, uh, had just started a Calvary Chapel of Redlands about a month before we got there. And I was so bummed out. I just go, Lord, I thought you wanted me to do that. <laughs> and so I ended up meeting Don and talking to him and sharing with him about our vision. And, and, and I said, I really don't know what I'm going to do at this point. He says, well, why don't you join us? You know? so, so I ended up you know, working with Don for about a year. Uh, and then the Lord opened the door as we were doing outreaches from Calgary Redlands, uh, there was an outreach in Banning, and uh, a bunch of people got saved, and it, it led us to start a Calgary Chapel out there in Banning. Okay, and that was the new thing that God wanted to do, and uh, Lord gave us that word. So many, you know, uh, before there in Austin, Texas, behold, I'll do something new.
0: Yeah, and how yeah. how long were you there?
1: In uh, in Banning. In Banning, I was there yeah. five years. Okay. In and the then water. you went
0: to the Philippines.
1: And from there we went to the Philippines. Yes.
0: Okay. So I have to, again, I'm going to quote the book a lot just because it's good. So I hope you don't mind me quoting you um, and quoting the book. It's just a great book. I'm telling you guys, you got to get the book. So um, it says here, uh, there was a uh, a meeting in 1982. It was called what women's aglow. Is that yeah. right? <laughs> okay. I'm, no, no, no. I, and I, I I think this is fabulous. And this is why I want to go here is because God still speaks. He speaks through his word mostly, but I think at times God does give people a word to give somebody else. You know, obviously you have to tread with extreme discernment, especially nowadays, because there's a lot of crazy stuff going out there. But um the Lord the Lord spoke to you through a gentleman named Andy, is that right?
1: Yeah, I I was um at this meeting, uh, which I did not like being there, but I, there I was the only pastor they could find that would be the advisor for this aglow group. And so uh, I'm the only male there except for uh, the speaker who brought her husband. So there's the two of us. And there's about 200 women in this meeting, somewhere around there. And, and so she gets done speaking. And when she finished, she turned around to her husband who was sitting just below her or, or just to her right. And she said, uh, do you have a word of the Lord for for, uh, for anybody? And, and he said, yes. And he got up and he goes, I have a word of the Lord for Dan. And I'm going, oh, no, <laughs> uh, there were no other Dan's around. I knew of. <laughs> and uh, so he said, please stand up. So I stood up. And he said, the Lord is uh, going to t- take you into a very important end times ministry that is going to take you all over the world. And uh, and uh, anyway, he went on and said a few other things. And and then he prayed for me. And I was just dumbfounded. I had no idea. You know, I had never traveled hardly anywhere other than, you know, across the States and uh, had never, never been overseas or anything like that. And, you know, he's prophesying the Lord's going to take me into this ministry going to take me all over the world. So um, I just kind of thought, well, this guy may be a little off base and that's OK. You know, you check the words of the prophets. It's not like the Old Testament where what they said was 100 percent or you stole them, you know. And so I always gave room for those kinds of utterances. And uh, yeah, you,
0: you, uh, didn't, you didn't carry stones in your pocket, right?
1: <laughs> uh, no, I did not. <laughs> so uh, I, I ended up, uh, you know, going, you know, f- totally forgetting about the whole incident until uh, uh, we were in the Philippines, actually, after we had moved there. And we began ministering in not only in the Philippines, but in Thailand and Indonesia. A lot of Southeast Asia. We were doing ministry there in those places, and it was about that time, uh, probably about two years after we had moved there to the Philippines, that uh, uh, I pulled up that tape. It was on a cassette. Yeah. And for uh, old, uh, younger people, you wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> but uh, it was a recording done on these cassette tapes, and and I remember popping that thing into a cassette. Tape and listening to it again and it blew me away that prophecy that God was taking us into many lands and uh, so anyway that was the beginning that was only a couple of years into our time there and uh, today you know 35 years later that, I mean after we started the ministry in 1985 yeah. this would have been three years after that prophecy uh, you know I have taught inductive bible study in 55 countries uh around the world and uh so you know that was a definitely a prophecy of the world that's wolf.
0: right yeah for sure absolutely so let's just say okay you you're in, you're in the Philippines because there were you know there were some events that took place before you actually were able to make it out to the Philippines we don't have time to get into that right now um i have time you don't have time but Um, the Lord led you guys to the Philippines and, um, there's, there's one aspect I want to cover just kind of, of your time in general there. But before we get there, I want to talk about chapter seven, which is titled unto us. I believe unto us, a son is given and that's not Christmas, right?
1: That's right. (laughs) That's right.
0: It's not Christmas. So you guys are in the Philippines, but why don't you talk to us about chapter seven?
1: Okay, what happened uh, about uh, three months into our time in the Philippines, uh, I got a letter from my home church, and they said, we cannot keep the support coming to you, because since you left, people have left the church, the income is down, and we can't support two pastors. So uh, we're just praying for you, but we can't send support anymore. So we were in a crisis time. We're going, Lord, what are we going to do? How are we going to live? And uh, you know, I was questioning whether we should go back to America. Although we had only bought a one-way ticket, so <laughs> we had no ticket to go home. And and so as I'm, I, I'm really discouraged and praying about this. I'm driving down the road outside of the city where we lived in Dumaguete. It's a island, uh, part of the island of Negros, uh, and it's the capital of uh, of the. Uh, that side of the island of Negros. And so uh, anyway, I'm driving down the road just outside of town of Dumaguete and I saw a woman standing in the road uh, and she had had a baby in her arms. I didn't think much about it, but she was looking for a ride, obviously, and nobody had picked her up. But, you know, I'm heading to see a pastor, so I just drove on by her and she looked a little distressful, but, you know, not a big deal. And so uh, anyway... Uh, long and short, on the way uh, on the way home after visiting this pastor for about an hour, I came past this woman again, and she's still in the road. Wow. And so I obviously I knew she hadn't got a ride, and she looked really upset. And uh, so I stopped the car and said, "Hey, uh, do you need a ride?" And she said, "Yes." And she jumps into the car with this baby. And and as we're driving into town, she told me the story. She said, "This is not my baby. Uh, this baby is is." Uh, uh, her uh, the baby's mother died in childbirth. Uh, the father of this baby is a blind beggar, and she said the grandmother who is 80 years old was trying to take care of this baby, and he got really sick. He was dying, and she begged me to get the baby out of her house so it wouldn't die in her home. And she said so. I wandered out to the road trying to get a ride into town. This baby needs to go to the hospital. He's dying. But uh, anyway, uh, so so we. Uh, uh, at that point, you know, she said, I, I have no money. I, I can't put this baby in the hospital. So I ended up taking the baby. And uh, I drove home, honked my horn, and uh, my wife came out and I said, "Hun, you will not believe what I've just brought home. And I handed her a little baby. I hadn't had a chance to really look at him, you know, cause I was driving and and so anyway, we unwrapped him and looked at him and he was so small and we have a picture of him in the book, you know, uh, my wife holding him in one hand. He was just so tiny, less than four pounds, um, and you could see he was dying. And you know, it was just a really uh, a sad situation. So we immediately took him to the hospital, and uh, the doctors looked at him and said he's not going to survive. Uh, but if you want us to give him medications, you need to go to the drugstore, and here's here's the list of what you need to get. And so, you know, welcome to the third world. And so we went and I got these medicines and immediately they started giving them to him. And they said, listen, you'll have to stay with him. We don't have enough help in the hospital. So uh, uh, for 10 days, uh, we were getting medications for this little guy and uh, staying with him and praying over him. And to the amazement of everybody, he didn't die. And uh, and so we, um, we said, well, what's going to happen with him? you know, cause he, he was getting better. And uh, they said, well, he'll go to an orphanage because uh, nobody wants him. Wow. Well, my wife went to the orphanage, found out it was a horrible situation for infant babies. We knew he wouldn't survive there. And uh, there was a, only one milk formula they found that was working for him. And it was very expensive and they wouldn't be able to afford it there. And so we came back to the officials and said, listen, uh, can we keep him? And uh, they said, yes, you can have him. How many more would you like? And uh, we found out there was a huge problem in this city with uh, with babies uh, being abandoned. And just, you know, it actually led us to start an orphanage, which is a whole different story I won't get into.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I had that on the notes. We're not going to be able to get into that. What's the name of it?
1: It was called Rainbow Orphanage. Yeah. So and uh, they took in they'd have up to about 40 babies at a time. And we got these from all over, but anyway, the story with this little guy, uh, you know, uh, so before we took him into our home, uh, we talked to our kids about uh, bringing him in and adopting him, becoming our fourth child. And all the kids were all excited. Our girls, which were, uh, my oldest daughter was, uh, I believe she was 11 and then my other daughter was 10. They were thrilled. to be, uh, you know, babysitters for this little guy, you know, and and uh, there was nine years difference between my oldest son, and uh, and this little guy that we were going to adopt. And so anyway, uh, but before we adopted him and we brought him into our home, my wife and I went and prayed, said, Lord, what are we going to do about this little guy? Obviously, he needs a home, and you know we're in a financial crisis. I don't know how we can provide for another mouth. But if this is of you, Lord, you, you, know, you approve it. So anyway, uh, the Lord just spoke to me that day and, and made it very clear to me. He says, I want you to keep this little guy, but more than this, he's going to become a sign to you of what I've called you to do. And as you look at him, he's very weak and he's very frail. And the Lord said, that's my church in the Philippines. It's weak and it's frail. and the lord said as you bring him into your home and feed him and nourish him he's going to grow and he's going to become strong and the lord said so will my church as it learns to feed upon my word and that's why i brought you to the philippines to teach my pastors how to study my word and my church will come alive because it's learning to get into my word and and so the lord gave us this little guy uh we ended up naming him aaron um and we kept his last Filipino name, which was Omai. Oh so, Aaron Omai oh Finfrock, we named him. And we said, Oh my, what have we done more than once? <laughs> Aaron was a character. But Aaron, uh, you know, he uh, became a beautiful picture to us of the grace of God because we realized once we adopted him brought him into our family you know he's just a picture of all of us what God has done for us because all of us had no hope and no future the doctor told me if we hadn't brought him in when we did he would have died And, and all of us had no hope and no future until Christ came into our lives and we're told that we were adopted into the family of God And that's what we did with Aaron. We adopted him. We gave him our last name, my last name. He became our fourth child. We wrote him into our wills. And Aaron would equally inherit with his brother and two sisters, my vast fortune, which wasn't very big. (laughs) But uh, uh, so Aaron not only became a picture of God's grace, but he became a picture to us of what his word will do for our pastors as we train them and equip them. It will make them strong. Yeah. And, and I want to tell you, I have seen this over and over through the years. How as the churches, pastors have learned to study the word of God, the, the churches have grown And I I was just over in Tanzania not too long ago. I spoke in five different churches that the pastors have been through our training. Every one of those churches, the churches were in building programs because they couldn't keep, they had no place for all the people who were coming into their church because of what the word was doing in those churches. It was making the churches strong. And that's what God's word will do for everybody that gets into it. It will make you strong.
0: So. Logically, I'm gonna ask. It's the follow-up question: Is what is going on with the church in America?
1: (laughs) We've been tested, and we are being tested. And what you're finding is churches are backing down; they're yielding to the government that has no authority over them, Uh, and uh, and and so uh, you know people are not going to church. You know, uh, they said over one third, that last statistic I got, one third of believers in the church are not going back because they're comfortable watching it online. And the mandate in scripture is we are not to forsake the assembling of the brethren. That's and in Hebrews. People, yes. And what people are doing is they're disobeying scripture. And and we're, we've allowed this pandemic to cause fear, and people are living by fear they're afraid and yes it's a very real thing that's happening but do you understand that our lives are in god's hands and not one of us will ever die by an accident you're going to die when it's your time to go home to be with jesus but until then you need to keep active in the kingdom of god and if this is for your time to go you need to you'll go But we need to stay in church. We need to have fellowship. The church needs to come together more than ever before. And I believe the church is really being singled out. And if we don't stand strong, uh, the church is going to crumble here in America. And unfortunately, so many have.
0: You know, I I see, um, I guess one frustrating thing for me is, um, yeah, it's true. There's a lot of people that have, you know, decided I'm just going to stay home. It's more comfortable to me. But on the flip side of that, I also see a lot of pastors that aren't, that aren't willing to do what it takes in order to keep their doors open. There are those that, that are keeping their doors open, like pastor Jack Hibbs, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, um, uh, not, John MacArthur, John, John MacArthur, um, Calvary Chapel, uh, in Redlands, uh, 412 church, Tom Hughes, um, is keeping his church open. And, um, in ventura county i'm trying to remember um oh what's his name i can't McCoy. believe it. yeah rob mccoy thank you very much rob mccoy and the list goes on and on and even some of these there's a calvary chapel in san jose he's getting fined i think his fines are up to hundreds of thousands
1: yeah uh, over three hundred thousand. yeah
0: thank you his last name's mcclure uh what's his first john mcclure's son ah thank you very much there you go so um uh, obviously Don left a good impact on his son and he's doing the right thing, but there are so many that are not opening their doors and they're just, what, what is the problem? What's the deal with these pastors? What's going on?
1: Well, again, uh, it, for, you know, there's fear people, they're afraid and, uh, they just, they, they are just not following what scripture says. Yeah. So there's a falling out. And I think there's a weaning in the church. There's a dividing line and just a lot of churches, they bailed. So many churches aren't, they're they're not even meeting anymore. They're going.
0: Yeah. And, and I think, I don't think I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are in the last of the last of the last days. I really believe. And I'm sure you do too, that Jesus is, is at the ready to come and take his bride away just because what we're seeing isn't relegated to one area, you know, one part of the world or over here. It's it's covered the entire globe, and which kind of segues into our next uh, topic. I, I'm keeping an eye on the time, and uh, I'm trying to get through this. There's just way too much. We're going to have to do this again. You <laughs> promised to come on again? Sure. Not, okay, because we have to cover a lot. But there's a lot of talk of communism and socialism. It's obvious. We could see it. Um, in the political party here of the left, even uh, you know the the Republican Party, some of it's gotten in there. But all across America, there is talk about communism and socialism and Marxism, and you can just go down the list. Now, you've actually seen it firsthand, and I really want to. Um, I'd like you to tell us um, about uh, when I'm trying to see you were in the Philippines and you were giving a. Uh, I want to say here. I know I'm going to butcher the name, Bacalad. Is that right? Bacolod. So you were, yeah, you were with Ron um, teaching there, and you said there was a problems between the New People's Army of Philippines and the government. So the New People's Army was a, a communist group, right?
1: Communist group, yes.
0: Okay, tell us what happened there at that meeting.
1: Well, we were doing a seminar there, and uh, uh, in our seminars, I always bring a Calv- I try to bring a Calvary Chapel pastor, or somebody that. You know, it's going to do Bible exposition for me. And, and so these guys uh, will, will work through book studies. And Ron was in the midst of his book study in the hour that he was teaching when all of a sudden uh, automatic weapon fire burst out so loud. It was so close by. And, uh, and everybody in the building, including Ron, who was a Vietnam veteran, uh, uh, hit the floor. And uh, this uh, church had open uh, air windows, lots of open air, unfortunately, you know, and a tin roof. And But there was a concrete wall that went up about three feet. And so everybody was ducked below the wall. And and you could hear the bullets flying and everything. And and what had happened is the uh, NPA, which is a communist base um, organization, they were trying to ambush some military guys coming down the road. And uh, so they, uh, they indeed ambushed them, killed uh, uh, at least one, one soldier was killed that I was aware of. I don't know, there may have been more, but, um, uh, and, and so that, you know, we went out to the road and actually the one soldier that was killed, his brother was a pastor in the meeting.
2: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. So, but that was uh, one of the, Many times where, you know, it was a very scary moment uh, where we where the NPA had been hiding in the sugarcane fields mm. and the whole church was surrounded by these sugarcane fields. And there was a road running right by the entrance to our church. And so we were very close to the line of fire when when this took place.
0: So um I'm going to read Ephesians chapter six, 12 and 13. I know you probably have this memorized, but I, I need to memorize it. Says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, um, the, the times that you felt, you literally felt the, the, the presence of the demonic um, were probably numerous in, at your time in the Philippines and in the surrounding areas. Um, one specific was when you went to Thailand in 1989, um, you were doing one of the seminars. I think you said when you got off the plane or when you arrived to Thailand, you, you were able to even just feel the, the oppression or, or, you know, the demonic atmosphere in, in the in Thailand,
1: yes, it's very strong. Uh, in fact, on every house, uh, uh, every person's house on their corner of their property, they have a little doll house, and every day they put in food there because that's for the the demonic spirits to uh, to have because they don't they, they don't want them to come into the big house. So they will put sacrifices there. So demonic activity was so strong there, you felt it really really powerful. Yeah. So, and you said you got,
0: you had a real massive headache. I think when you, you got on the airplane, right?
1: Uh, Yeah. When I finished, like I said, all week long, we felt this really strong presence. We had a great seminar, but uh, boy, I, I knew there was a, there was a very strong resistance, which we often feel in our seminars. But when I got in the airplane, I was flying alone and, um, so when I got on the airplane, and sat down, buckled up, the plane took off. All of a sudden, I just had this massive headache. And I've never had migraines or anything like that. But this was awful. And I just, you know, it was all I could do to keep from throwing up. And anyway, a two-hour flight to Manila, I land at Manila. And I got to get to the hotel where my wife is going to be meeting me. And so I, 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 to this day, I don't know how I got there. I got into a cab and he took me to the hotel And and I just got to the hotel ahead of my wife. I'm sitting in the room, I darkened everything. It was so strong and I just was praying and just nothing was happening. And my wife came in about an hour later and she walked into the room and she didn't even ask me a question. She knew I was in trouble, and she walked over to me and laid hands on me and started praying, interceding, and uh, about 10 minutes into her time of praying, all of a sudden, boom, it was gone. Wow. As quickly as that headache came on, it left, and we knew without a shadow of a doubt it was demonic. Yeah. And, And the enemy knew that I was vulnerable because I didn't have anybody to pray for me and uh, to stand with me in this time, you know, so.
0: Why, why is it? I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I have this really nasty habit of interrupting people. Uh, Just, I have a lot going up, uh, up in here, you know, and so I have to sometimes get, get the thoughts out. But why do you think, why is it here in the United States? We're so closed off. We think that somehow we're immune to that because I don't know, we're not a third world country, but the truth is that we're just as, not only vulnerable, but it's just pre- it's present here. Um, what what yeah. what is your? I mean, talk about that.
1: Well, it, it's very strong here, um, stronger than ever, and uh, I I have just really sensed that. You know, with the elections, what happened in the elections? You can't tell me that was not demonically led. Yeah. And uh, the results of that election, it's all demonic. And uh, uh, so you know, e- everywhere you go, all these killings that we've had, mass shootings—you can't tell me that's not demonic. Yeah. And, and so the the you know we have you know we we want to classify all these things and just you know just say what is what, but but uh, you know there there's no doubt in my mind that the demonic presence is more powerful than ever before. We see so many people. Uh, living on the streets they're deranged and uh, it, it's demonic yeah you know and what's happening in our cities you know with all of the homeless living in the streets uh, the, you, you you can't tell me that is not demonic yeah and you see absolutely. a guy walking down the street throwing his hands up and yelling and just the other day right down the middle of the street it, 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 he was just yelling and screaming and you know, we would say, well, he's he's probably mentally deranged. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's more than that. It's yeah. demonic.
0: I agree 100%. I, I'm seeing things, we're seeing things that I've never seen before. And the crazy thing is it's happening in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Um. But I think I, you know what, uh, there again, there was so much here, but I do want to touch on something. You went to China a couple times, but in your book, I read something that really, really stuck out at me. And the chapter is called On to China. And uh, you said this. I'm going to quote you. You said, My contact told told me that the Chinese government has many spies in America that often infiltrate the churches. The government pays Chinese students attending school in America to visit U.S. churches, listen, and report any outreaches into China. They receive pay for their services. Before you talk to us a bit about, you know, your experiences in china it's it's amazing because we don't think that outside influences are here and they've been here for so so many years um but can you what is your thought about that i mean we we often think that you know we're we're immune again to what's happening outside you know the borders Mm -hmm. of the u.s but the the fact of the matter is is that the the battle's real it's very very real And sometimes the enemy, um, we, yeah, we don't see the enemy, but um, sometimes the enemy can be sitting right there in church. For some reason, we think that everybody in church prayerfully goes there because for the right reasons, but there are those that might go to certain churches for nefarious reasons as well. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, for, for, For one thing, there's no question that the Chinese government has infiltrated America. Yeah. And uh, we just got an incident in the news just even today of uh, of a congressman who's uh, on the top security. um, You know, he's from the House Mm -hmm. and uh, he's in the top security position and he was... Uh, having a relationship with a Chinese gal who they know for a fact was a spy. And that's just what, I mean, they've infiltrated to the highest level. Yeah. And and so uh, they, you know, they want to know what's going on in the church, the church, especially uh, we know that there's just a lot of infiltration. Uh, They want to know what's happening. They're listening for churches that want to come over and do seminars. I would never talk about, anything I was doing in China on the media ever, because I knew that I, that they would they would be looking for me if, right. I, if I did.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I want to make a distinction. Uh, Don Stewart's made the distinction. And, and when I talk about this, I always like to say there's, the, there's a difference between the Chinese government, which is terrible, which is demonic. And then the Chinese people, which are uh, the large majority of them are very, very hungry and open to the word of God. You went there twice. Can you just kind of briefly tell us what that looks like? I mean, what you had to go through to get to your destination, but the hunger, what they'll go through just to get the word of God.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I've been there multiple times uh, in China, but uh, what I have seen is they are just so eager to learn because they, they haven't had the access to tools that we have here in America. You know, we have so many Bibles yeah. and commentaries and all this stuff. And a lot of that was unavailable to them. It was being blocked out, mm-hmm. you know, so they were filtering, the government filtered what would be allowed in uh, on media and online. And, and so these guys, when we started going in into China, you know, uh, I you could never work with uh, the largest group I worked with is about 30 people. Wow! Uh, because you just you could not, um, you just could not uh, do anything the larger. Attention? Yeah, or you get attention. Attention. Yeah, yeah. And, and people, you know, they they report you, so there there's no problem. They have no problem reporting you, and then you're going to get in trouble. So, uh, I've had several churches where I've gone and done seminars, and shortly after I was there, um, they got closed down. Wow. You know, so the government's everywhere. You know, the minute yeah. you walk into, you come into that country, you, they have facial recognition. Yes. And they can find you anywhere you go. So, I mean, uh, they did a test with a BBC reporter and uh, uh, they got his facial recognition and then he went into uh, Beijing, huge, millions of people. Yeah, yep. They found him in five minutes.
0: That's insane. Yeah. That's something out of a science fiction movie.
1: Yeah, so there, there is a huge. Uh, you know, these guys are really good at what they do, and uh, so they're they're gonna they're gonna do everything they can to but, destroy America.
0: But you would so here's the thing: there would be pastors. You would be in a room. Um, Full of how many pastors or even young pastors would be in some of these seminars that you had? They would tell you, okay, I'm going to drop you off here. You got to get in the next taxi that's going to pick you up. And then you got to put your hood up or t- that's what I'm saying. You had to, it's not like you got off the airport, they took you to a hotel and then great, we're going to have a, you know, in a salon or a ballroom number, you know, three. It was, you really had to watch yourself and it was Having to go through um, pretty stringent, uh, you know, directions, I guess, to get to where you had to go.
1: Yeah, they they were very very careful because they knew that they could they'll get in big trouble. They'd just kick me out of the country, but they would go to jail. Yeah, you know, so so I had to be very careful. They were very uh, careful with me. They were often very creative in what they did, you know, to yeah. get there.
0: Yeah. And and how many, um, how many pastors would be in one room?
1: Well, uh, I did one uh, where I, it it depended. Sometimes there was 10, sometimes 20, every now and then I'd have 30, that would be the max. But uh, yeah. So this one place I went, uh, I I took two taxi cabs, and then I had to follow a guy uh, about a block away, like a, like 007 yeah would follow somebody you know and, and so you know i follow this guy and he takes he goes into this apartment flat so i'm you know i'm about half a block behind him and i see where he goes so i walk up uh about uh, five flights of fi- uh, stairs and then a door opened up and the guy's standing there smiling at me waving me in and so i get into the room and and then uh, there's 30 pastors that were waiting for me in this. They were all pastors. Wow. And uh, I talked to, I got to, uh, you know, talk with each one of them over the course of the next three days where we did uh, our seminar and uh, we would go from early morning to late at night. And these pastors just ate it up. Yeah. And they would, uh, of all 30 pastors, not one of them, had escaped prison. They had all gone to prison at one time or another. Wow. And that's a call of a pastor there. You know sooner or later you're going to go to prison. And these guys will be tortured. Amazing stories some of them told me, you know, of what they had to go through. And you know, you know, God just uh, it, intervened for them. And sometimes they they died in prison. The wives, some of the pastors were wives, quite a few of them were that had taken over their husband's ministries who were either in prison or had died in prison. Wow. You know, but they just they couldn't get enough for three days and three nights. I was with them. And when I went to finish up my last session, they all started to cry. And I said to my translator, what's wrong? Why are they crying? And he just said, well, they're so thankful that you'd be willing to come and teach them because uh, people are afraid to come and teach them and they they're just so thankful you're willing to risk yourself to come and uh, get them into the word and they just they just said we're learning so much
0: um what what i don't see though i don't see that hunger in the pastors here in america or even um people that you know attend churches there's again that uh apathy of i'll just watch from home you know in the comfort of my house and uh, people don't realize that their freedoms are just not, not slowly eroding away. It's they're They're going like real quick, you know um, it's, it's worrisome on one side. It's worrisome just because if the church is so sickly uh, there's really no hope. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Our hope is in Christ. Obviously I get that, but I mean, the, you know, we're representatives of Christ here on earth. And if we're, we don't have that zeal and that hunger for God's word, I mean, what really? What what's left? You yeah. know, what's left?
1: Yeah, I know. I've I've been to churches. Uh, I I went to a church one time. Um, I won't tell you the name of it. Yeah. Uh, mainline denomination, uh, big one. And I did this. Went to do the seminar with a group of about forty-five or fifty men. Uh, it was a men's seminar. And did you know there was not one Bible brought by those men? It just speaks volumes of what the church was doing. Yeah. Here they're having a inductive Bible study seminar and nobody brought their Bible. Yeah. And, and that's,
0: <laughs> I guess, that's where I'm getting us. So I think unfortunately, we've we've come to this point where we rely too much on our education. Oh, I have a master's in divinities or a PhD here. And I'm not, I'm not down on education. I'm that's not what I'm where I'm getting at. But I like what David, uh, Pastor David Hawking said in the talk many, many years ago, talking about the uh, the pre-trib rapture. But he said um, that people can get educated beyond their intelligence, <laughs> you know. And and I have I agree with that. I agree because I see that more now than ever, you know. Um, and I don't see the church here in America. There's no excuse for the apathy that we're seeing in America. You you made mention that. Because there was uh, such a lack of Bibles in China that, unfortunately, it gave room to a lot of heretical teaching, right?
1: Yes, it did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I see that. Do you see that here? I mean, we don't have a lack of Bibles. So what's our excuse?
1: People aren't reading them. Right? Yeah, so they're not into the Word.
0: They're, they're, they're not, not into
1: the Word. Not at all. And the churches are, are, are guilty of not teaching the Word. And that's yeah. one of the big problems that I see in America is you've got so many churches that, uh, you know, they have huge crowds and the pastor is not teaching the word.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there's just a, a real, uh, disintegration of the word of God.
0: Absolutely. And, and this leads just briefly few minutes, um, Your inductive Bible study courses. Tell us exactly what that is, right?
1: Well, inductive Bible study, induct, it's the idea of pulling out of the text facts. So you're inducting for what the text says, the facts out of the text. And so you look at those facts very carefully. And then you have to, uh, so that's the first step is observation in inductive bible study we we get the fact and then we move to the second step which is interpretation okay what does that mean and so to interpret something you have to work with the context so the verses before and the verses after are going to help you to draw your interpretations of what the text is saying you know so you always work with context right. to draw your interpretation Once I've interpreted it correctly, then I go to the third step where I'm going to apply it. So inductive Bible study is three steps, observation, interpretation, and application. And and so once I get the idea of what he's talking about, then okay, now I'm going to bring it into my life. I'm going to see how can I apply this to my own life? And when you begin to do that, uh, it's very powerful. And when you get pastors to teach that way, where the first they get their people to observe what the text says, look at verse three and you read it, you know, and notice what he says in verse three, first of all, you know, and so you point out the first thing that he says, you know, that's the first idea. And what do you think he meant by that? You know? And, yeah. and so you start working through those verses inductively and it's a powerful way to teach. People really get it when right. they can follow along with you.
0: Yeah, and that's that's absent. It's not, not in all churches, but in a large majority of churches, that's very, very absent. It's like, uh, I see, well, what is the text? What do I think the text says? What do I feel the text says instead of actually letting the text do the talking, you know? And the problem I've noticed is that because there's so much biblical ignorance, people are just... Um, they're set up for deception so easily, you know. Well, the, the pastor says it, then it must be true, you know. Right.
1: Yeah, it, and, it's just so easy to to uh, just go by. Well, I think this, you know, yeah. this is my idea. You yeah, know? absolutely. I, I I've sat in Bible studies where I've lit, watched the leader go. Okay, let's look at verse one. What What does yeah. verse one mean to you? Yeah, You know, and you'll get 10 different interpretations of it. Yeah. Well, there's not 10 interpretations of that. There's only one. The writer intended one intent when he wrote it. He didn't mean to give you 10 options. Yeah. And, and so you've got to find that idea. And again, you have to work with the context.
0: Absolutely. So I'm going to link up to your site um, so that everybody knows the Inductive Bible Study um, course that pastor Dan Fimfrock leads and he's done all over the world. Um, and he has the videos online. You can buy the resources online, but I'm going to link to all of that because I really think, especially in these days that we're living in that we really, really need to dig into the word of God. I mean, books are good, but the word of God, it is the most important thing. It's the sword, right? That's, that's our only offensive weapon, right? That and prayer Pastor Dan?
1: Absolutely. If we don't, if we don't get into the word, we will be led astray just as what's happening today. Yeah. You know, it's my feelings that are important. Absolutely. Yeah. What I think.
0: Yeah. It's what I think. And it's, it's not what, what any of us thinks it's what the Lord thinks and what the word of God says. Um, Last thing. And then we'll, we'll go ahead and close with this. This is a story that really caught another one that caught my attention. And this, please be honest, because this might have nothing to do with the situation we're going through. Um, but I want to get your take on it. Uh, you had an experience in a hotel, right? Your forced, st- your five-star hotel in Mindanao that you talk <laughs> about. I <laughs> see he's laughing because he knows where I'm going. Um, tell us about your experience with that, um, with that five-star hotel.
1: Uh, well, we called that the Mid uh uh, hotel. It was, uh, it was uh, bars everywhere on the windows because they have so much problem with thievery, you know, so you get into the, you get into the hotel and uh, the guys yeah. that were with me, I had about four pastors with me. They kind of start freaking out thinking, what happens if we have a fire in the middle <laughs> of the night? You know, how are we going to get out of this place? You know, So, so, Uh, But, uh, you know, these uh, these hotels are filled with all kinds of cockroaches and uh, the sheets aren't very clean. And, Mm. you know, so it's it's not the best experience in a hotel that you want want to have. But uh, anyway, so that was. No, no, no.
0: But but tell us what happened at 4 a.m. So you said Debbie, which is your wife, right? Um, OK. Yeah. She often wouldn't go with you, but you you brought her this time and you, you. yeah.
1: Okay. That was another hotel I your, that I was thinking about. The, uh, we were in this hotel and it was similar. It wasn't very nice at all. Uh, in the middle of the night, uh, we felt an earthquake. The roof room was shaking, and uh, and so I mean, uh, I, I, I when I woke up with just a, a jolt, and I said, "We got to get out of here," you know, because yeah. actually some of the ceiling plaster was starting to fall and so I so we you know we're trying to find our clothes with no electricity you know so we're grappling around the room we finally found what we could and, and uh you know you never have a flashlight when you need one and so anyway you yeah we got we got dressed the best we could and we ran out of the hotel and we we uh stood out there and there was panic everywhere um we people were running up this hill and cars were driving up people were screaming and yelling and and uh, we were asking around what's what's going on and obviously it was an earthquake you know yeah well what what we found out was they had an earthquake like this one 10 years earlier and a tsunami hit that island hundreds of people died in wow. the tsunami and uh, so they thought another tsunami was coming with the earthquake and that's why there was such a panic, you know and right and uh, then the the hotel that we were in was badly damaged and we were able to get our stuff out of there and uh, later so you
0: you were saying so that you guys were trying to get out of the building and I'm going somewhere with this. And, and praise God you guys got out of there. The next day you did you you went back, you did the seminar, right you taught and one of the one of the pastors approached you and said something to you, about that building and do you, yeah, he's,
1: uh, we, uh, it was a gal she shared with us. She said, uh, the Lord showed me that he spared your life because that building was going to collapse. Yeah. And God spared you because of the righteous ones that were in that building.
0: Amen. So I want your opinion. And again, I could be Totally far off with this, and I probably am, and I'm probably just digging emotionally here. But what is your take on what we're currently going through in America, and the Lord allowing the proverbial building to just fall down when there's so many people that are really seeking the Lord? On you know, um, what what's your take on that? Again, I have my opinion about that, um, but. Again, an opinion's an opinion. I want something, you know, based scripturally.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, again, uh, I, I, we're in a in a real testing time, and and, and uh, you know, we're we're told that in scripture that, that there there in the last days there will be a falling out in the church, and many will turn away. And I can't think of the text right now. It's I'm not drawing uh, in my brain what the, that text was. But the, the, it is, it's a falling out. Uh, people aren't turning away uh, because they aren't grounded in the word. And so the, the pandemic has caused great fear and you can certainly understand why, and it's very real, uh, but, but people aren't trusting the Lord. And uh, so, so we're, you know, it's a very sad commentary on the church today yeah. And the weakness of the church today. And I believe God's going to make the church strong through all this. Now, we know that uh, guys like Greg Laurie, who have been uh, they've had over a million people watching online. Yeah. Their their videos, you know, yeah. so they're tuning in. People are hungry. They're looking for a church that's going to teach the word yeah. and it's going to tell them what's going on. Yeah, and uh, so there, there is a, a hunger, uh, undoubted, uh, uh, unbelievable, precedent in time for the church to be strong in Him, and unfortunately, many churches have bailed.
0: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, what I see happening is I do see, again, the building is shaking and the plaster is falling. Yeah, you know, um, and how many people are going to be. You know what I like to say. At some point, the rapture is gonna. The Lord's gonna take us away in the rapture, and then those that are left. And I hate to say this, but that building's gonna come down at some point. It's gonna crush a, you know millions of people. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way, right?
1: No, uh, you know if 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 we. Get into the Word and allow the Word to make us strong. You know, then then we're gonna we'll stand firm in the midst of this storm. But what uh, about
0: it, what about those that don't know? They don't have the hope of Jesus Christ. Can you? Would you mind just telling them the hope that Jesus Christ
1: offers? I would be glad to. It, it, we, we, uh, we have a hope that the world does not have. Every one of us is facing death. Sooner or later, you're going to die. I was talking to a football team not very long ago. And uh, I, it was a halftime, or not a halftime, but a, a pregame meal with about 60 uh, high school football players. And I said, you know, every one of you, you're, you know, you're making plans for the future. You're making plans uh, after the game. You're making plans to graduate. And, uh, I, and yet not one of you sitting there in that room, none of you have a guarantee you're going to be alive even after your game. You could die during your game. Football players die all, all the time on the field. It happens. And, and, and you need to have a plan. And so many people today have no plan for death. And they just say, well, whatever will be, will be. But you can have a plan. Jesus died on the cross to give you a plan for life. Life eternal. You can live forever with him. But if you don't accept Jesus into your life, accept his death on the cross, you will die in vain you will have no hope. And if you want to have a plan, you have to open your life to Jesus Christ because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. And so you can live a good life. You can be a good person. But unless you invite Christ to come into your life, you're going to die in your sin because we all are sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so Jesus died for us. And if you invite him to come into your life, you will have a plan for death. You're going to be able to, to, to face death. And as I said before, so many people have no plan for death. But you're going to die. Yeah. This COVID may take you. Do you have a plan? And if you invite Christ to come into your life, you're going to have hope and you're going to have a future. And that day when I shared with that football team, out of those 60 players, I would guess close to half of them said, I want to have a plan for Jesus Christ. They raised their hands and I led them in a sinner's prayer. And I'm going to lead you in one right now. Let's do it. It's what I did with those football players. Yeah. And if you just repeat these words, the words themselves won't save you, but your belief in what you're saying is going to save you. And so uh, pray with me now. Lord, we thank you that Jesus, that you died on the cross, that we could have life and have it abundantly, that we would not have to die a second death, but that we would have life eternally. And Lord, we know that people that don't invite you to come into the life are going to experience not just one death, but two, because there's a judgment coming upon our lives. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would forgive my sins, cleanse me, make me whole. I ask that you come into my life. I give you my life, and I will serve you all the days of my life. And so forgive me, cleanse me, and wash me. In Jesus' name I pray. And if you prayed that, and you believe those words. Jesus has just come into your life and he will make you whole. You have a plan for death.
0: Amen. Pastor Dan, I can't thank you enough for the time that you gave us. Um, we didn't get, we had so much more to get through, but you promised, you said you would come back. So I'm going to hold you to your word. Okay. Right.
1: We'd we'll be glad okay. to do some more.
0: So thank you so much. Um, I'm gonna, like I said, I'm gonna link to all of Pastor Dan's uh, material, the inductive Bible study, his website. Um, I highly recommend it again. His book, get the book. It is amazing, amazing. And you know what? With the times we're living in, it's a, it's an extra dose of hope that Christ offers, and you can see it lived in, in, in someone's life. In this case, Pastor Dan and his family and his wife. So. Thanks so much for coming. Last question before we go out. Where do you think we stand on the prophetic uh, timeline?
1: I believe we're right on the very brink. That's my personal feeling. Brink Uh, of? That Jesus is coming soon. Yeah. And so we're right there. And uh, that's my feeling. Nobody knows the day or the hour.
0: Absolutely. Michael's
1: very clear about that. But we see the signs and all the evidences. It's all there. It's coming with this COVID, it's changing everything. And so I believe we are being set up for these last days. Who would have ever dreamed that we could shut the church down in America?
0: Yeah, that's right. So think about that, everybody. It's a lot of food for thought. I hope you guys were blessed. I hope you guys were encouraged and challenged. So stay tuned till the next one. God bless you guys.